The scripture reading this morning is from John chapter 1, verse 1 and verse 14, and John chapter 14, verses 6 and 7. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. This is the word of the Lord. Well, we continue in our series about who is Jesus, and we are towards the end. This is the last sermon in that series as we begin to look at who Jesus is. And over the last few weeks, what we've discovered is that Jesus is more than a servant. Jesus is more than a judge. Jesus is more than a teacher. He's more than a friend. That he is more than a judge, a miracle worker. They're up there, so that's helpful. And more than a king. He's more than all those things. He is all of those things. He holds all of those things. He walks in those things, but he is much more than that. And today we delve into the thing that probably shakes us the most when we hear it, but also can give us the most encouragement, that Jesus is more than just a man. He's more than some man that just walked on this earth, that taught good things, that did great things, who came and brought love and peace and joy, but also set forth people who were wrong and helped them to be right. He's more than a man. And we see that in these two passages that we looked at. John 1, 1 and 14. It's this prologue to to Jesus' biography that's written by John who we know as the apostle that Jesus loved. And he says that in the beginning was the Word, and he's speaking of Jesus there. And the Word was with God, and then he says this, and the Word was God. That Jesus is part of this Trinitarian dance, this lovely thing that's impossible to describe and even harder sometimes to understand. And so it's by faith that we reach out and say, yes, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so Jesus is there in this dance of the Trinity. He is part of who God is. He, in fact, is more than part. He is God. But then it tells us this. And then the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. And we have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth, that God becomes a man. And so we see this and go, Jesus is a man. But he's more than that. He is a God, a God who calls us, a God who has been in steadfast love with us, a a God who has pursued us in the ultimate way so that we could know him most clearly. Our call to worship today was from Colossians where it reminds us that Jesus is God, that in him and through him all things were made and they are held together by his good loving care. So Jesus is introduced to us in the book of John as God. 
And as we walk along with him, we get to chapter 14, this place of verse 6 and 7, and we hear, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And if you really know me, you will know my Father as well. For now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. Why have you seen him? Because you've seen Jesus, and he is God. Now, if you're like me, when you hear that section, no one comes to the Father except through me, you hold that in great tension. You maybe even think to yourself that this passage tells us that there is a gate that is present. And that gate is put up as a protection to keep the unwantable out and only let those who deserve to be in in. That that gate is set in order to make sure no one who is not supposed to be there is not there. And that those who are supposed to be there can get in. I would dare say that we think that way because we, in our hearts, and our minds, will begin to decide who we would want to be with us or not. Now, look, guys, we, let's be honest. A lot of you are much better than I am. So maybe it's just me. But I begin to think to myself, who, who deserves really? Who, who deserves it? Like I can't have too many people who are better than me get there because then that makes me look bad. <laughs> so then I might not get in. But I can't have too many people that are like me not get in because that means I might not get in. So really, I only think the worst of the worst shouldn't get in. And we build a gate. And so when we hear this word that no one sees the Father except through me, I think we picture it as a gate. But what I want to say to you today is that Jesus, when he says, I am more than a man, I am in fact God, he is also saying to us, no one comes to the Father except through me, and I am the key. I am the one that unlocks the gate and opens up the entrance into God. I'm the one that is more than the gate. I am the key that unlocks it, that breaks down any assumption you might have about who deserves to be in or who doesn't deserve to be in because I am the one who will bring in because I open the gate. I am the door. I am the key. And how does he do that for us? How do we then use Jesus, uh, allow him to unlock it as the key for us to walk in? Well, the first thing that he says is that I am the way. I'm the way. Now, in a lot of ways, this is the path towards Jesus. Jesus is saying, I'm the way. If you follow after me, if you look after me, if you have faith in me, then I am the path. I am the way that will lead you to God. You will be able to see him. So it's the path that we follow towards God, but it is also the path forward for us. See, once we discover Jesus and we know that he is more than a man, that he is in fact God, that he comes and he shows us how it is to actually be truly human, then he is also the way in which we walk and move forward to completion about understanding about who we are, how we were created to be. So he's that path that moves us towards God, but he is the path that moves us forward as we walk in God. 
The most interesting thing about this is that we are called to seek after him and he seeks after us. Jeremiah reminds us that those who seek after me, I will let them find me. But John reminds us, and Jesus says in this biography that is written by John, I've come to seek and to save those who are lost. That he is the path, the way of getting to God and the way of moving beyond God. Interestingly enough, Christian, the term that we often use for what we are, was a slur when it first came about. The people that were Christians referred to themselves most often as people of the way. We walk in the way of Christ, and Christ himself is the way that allows us to see God because he is more than a man. He is, in fact, God. Then he calls himself the truth. I am the truth. This is the one who knows us beyond any shadow of a doubt, who knows who we are and how we were created to be before the foundation of the world. Jesus as God is saying, I know implicitly beyond a shadow of a doubt who you are. And that is the truth. However, we live our lives with what is true. Oftentimes we build identities that are outside of the truth of how God built us to be and how we are made by him and how he knows us. And it's very true to us. It's built upon us by our families. It's built upon us by our experiences. It's built upon us by things that we read. It's built upon us by things that we watch. And we build this identity, whether it's through our job or our family or our care or our possessions. And we begin to believe that that is who we are. But what Jesus says is, no, I'm the truth. And that truth is, I know who you are because as God, I created you before the foundation of the world. I know exactly who you are. And so we come into this place of seeing that Jesus is more than a man, that he is God, and we have to submit ourselves. We have to open ourselves up in our trueness to allow God's truth to transform us. That we allow God's truth to come in, and in some places, it convicts us. In some places, it says, you're believing a lie about yourself, and you need to allow me to change that. Some of you walk in here and you think you're worthless. That's a lie. You're not. Because God created you before the foundation of the world. And he knows who you are. And he's always known you. And he's loved you and been in that pursuit of you. Some of you believe that your worth is tied to your success at work. That's a lie. Your worth is tied to the fact that the Father, God, knows you. That he loves you, that he knew you before the foundation of the world and created you to be in relationship with him. And so we have to allow the truth of God and who he is in Jesus to convict us and cause us to say, if I hold on to this thing that doesn't align with what God created me to be, then I need to let it go. And that's painful and hard. As God continues to work on my heart and transform places that are falsehoods that I believe about myself, there are days that I miss the old Lee. 
Why? Because I was used to him. He was comfortable. It was like a perfect old shirt or pair of jeans that looked great, at least on me, or at least I thought so. Plus, I liked him because he got stuff done, and he really didn't care what anybody thought about him. And it's a whole lot easier, you think, to walk through life thinking, who cares what people think about me? Then all of a sudden, believing that my actions impact other people? You see, we have to allow it to transform us and change us. But here's the beautiful part. As we engage with this man who is more than a man and who is the truth of who God is and who we are, then he also finds those places that have always been us and that align with the truth. Those places that are good and kindness and seekers of justice and mercy. Those things that stand up for the rights of those who are around us. Those places that align with the truth of Jesus, the truth of God, we celebrate. And God says, yes, those things I planted in you before the foundation of the world for them to be known and seen. And so continue to walk in those things. Let me empower them in a way. So we are the way and we are in the truth. And then he says, I'm the life. Flowers are beautiful, aren't they? Flowers are great because you can see them growing. I've been wanting to go about getting uh, out to see the wildflowers, and somehow we're not able to do that. We can't line up our schedules in time to do that. We did get to see some tulips earlier this year. Not tulips, what were they, Shannon? Lilies, orchids. They smelled weird, they had bees around them, and they were beautiful. They were up in Araluen. What's up in Araluen? Tulips. Tulips. Oh, see, I was right. Testify. They need sun. They need soil. They need water. But you can cut them and you can take them home. And you can put them in a vase. And you can even get that miracle stuff that you put in there, that little crystallized thing that kind of keeps them alive for a little bit longer. And they stay beautiful, but eventually they die. And even some of those stay beautiful, but they're dead. They're not alive. Jesus here is saying, I am life. What that is saying is that I'm the one who is the creator and the giver of life. I am the one who will give you, in John he says, life better than you've ever dreamed. That's the way the message puts it. Life fulfilled. Life abundant. Life complete. In Jesus saying that I am more than a man, I am in fact God, and I am life. I am the key that allows you to see all that God has for you in life. That means, apart from me, you're dead. Now you can be beautiful for a while, but you will die. And so he calls forth and says, I'm the giver of life. I sustain life. That verse in Colossians that we read at the beginning says he holds all life together. And so it is in this life that we walk in a way that is a response in gratitude to the fact that he is the giver of life. He is the one who sustains us. No longer striving to get life. 
no longer believing that the things that we do need to be done in order to maintain or get life because it is given to us by Christ so that we then walk in gratitude to who He is. So when Jesus says, no one sees the Father except through me, He is not shutting people out. He is saying, I am the key that unlocks the door that shows you who God is. In fact, I am God, and I am the way, the truth, and the life. And not only that, I've empowered you through Holy Spirit to walk in the way, and the truth, and the life. And so we should not fear that we are shut out, but we should cry out to God who is merciful and has allowed us in. Always anticipating and waiting that our life will be more full, that even when trials come, I will be known for who I am in Christ, that I will walk in a way that is filled with gratitude towards Him, that I will hope in the truth that He will not let me stay in a place that is hurting me and others, but will allow me to know who I was created to be in Him before the foundation of the world. And not only will I walk in the way, but I will move forward in the way and will be known as a person who shows the way to Jesus. Over all these weeks when we've been talking about who Jesus is, the culmination is this. That Jesus claims to be God. And He is. And in that, He shows us who God is so much in His relentless pursuit with His steadfast love to bring us into whole relationship with Himself, with ourselves, with all others in the very place that we live. He is more than a teacher. He is more than a judge. He is more than a miracle worker and more than a servant. He is more than a revolutionary. He is more than a friend. He is more than a man. He is God. So how do you wrap up a series like that? How do you put a bow on a sermon about Jesus being God? the way, the truth, and the life that opens the door for all to know who He is. Well, maybe the best way is to quote an elder and an old pastor named Dr. Lockridge, who's an African-American pastor in the 1990s. and uh, He was born in 1918 and lived, and he was at a conference. And at that conference, he was an elder statesman for kind of his movement. And so since he was sitting there, they said, they said uh, Dr. Lockridge, would you come up and pray for us? And this was his prayer. I won't nearly have the cadence or the verb that he has, even when he was 93. You can go listen to it or see it on YouTube. He said, the Bible says my king is a seven-way king. He's the king of the Jews. That's a racial king. He's the king of Israel. That's a national king. He's the king of righteousness, the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He is the king of kings, and he is the Lord of lords. That's my king. Well, I wonder, do you know him? David said, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows worth his handiwork. My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. 
No far-seeing telescope can bring into visibility the coastline of his shoreless supplies. No barrier can hide him from pouring out his blessing. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He is eternally steadfast. He is immortally graceful. He is imperially powerful. He is impartially merciful. Do you know him? He is the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of the world. He is God's Son. He is a sinner's Savior. He is the centerpiece of civilization. He stands in solitude in and of himself. He is august and he is unique. He is unparalleled and he is unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He is the highest personality in philosophy. He is the supreme problem in higher criticism. He is the fundamental doctrine in true theology. He is the core and necessity for spiritual religion. He is the miracle of the age. Yes, he is. He is the superlative of everything good that chooses to call him. He is the only one qualified to be the all-sufficient Savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength to the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and he sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick and cleanses the lepers. He forgives the sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He rewards the diligent. He beautifies the meek. I wonder, do you know him? Well, this is my king. He is the king. He is the key to knowledge. He is the wellspring of wisdom. He is the doorway of deliverance. He is the path of peace. He is the roadway of righteousness. He is the highway of holiness. He is the gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his office is manifold. His promises are sure. His life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. He reigns in righteousness, and his yoke is easy, and his burden is light. I wish I could describe him to you, but he is indescribable. Yay, yay, yay. He is indescribable. Yes, He is. He is God. He is indescribable. He is incomprehensible. He is invisible. He is irresistible. Well, you can't get Him out of your mind. And you can't get Him off of your hand. You can't outlive Him and you can't live without Him. Well, the Pharisees couldn't stand Him, but they found out that they couldn't stop Him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him and the witnesses couldn't get their testimonies to agree. Herod couldn't kill him and death couldn't handle him and the grave couldn't hold him. That's my king. That's my king. And thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever and ever and ever. How long is that? And ever and ever. And when you get through all those forever, then amen. Good God Almighty, do you know Jesus, you are more than all that we would ever put on you, but you are all that we need. Amen. Why don't you stand up and let's sing in response.